0: Hello, and welcome to The Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as professor of law at NYU and senior lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, Hollywood, Washington, and transparency. All right, Richard. So last fall, uh, there was this big digital breach with Sony Entertainment. They had a lot of their email records hacked and made public. We talked about that then. Now that story sort of has a second life because the website WikiLeaks, which most people probably associate more with national security issues than entertainment ones, has now posted those Sony emails online so that anyone can go and search them. And David Boyes, Sony's attorney, is now warning the press against using uh, any of the information that has come up here. So, Richard, this is sort of an interesting legal question. If the media is... Simply reporting on information that another entity has made public, Uh, what kind of recourse, if any, does Sony have if they don't like it?
1: This is an absolute tangle. Um, that is, I think the first principle argument would be f- strongly in favor of boys in the uh, Sony Corporation. But I think the current law is generally in favor of the WikiLeaf type situation. And so let me first start beginning the way in which the law starts to work. And then later I'll try to offer some kind of critique of how it puts together. Uh, the basic principle that one has is that there's no question that every company is entitled to take whatever self-help devices it wants in order to keep its information private. And you can imagine how the world would work if you denied them that privilege so that every time you sent an email to one of your co-workers and so forth, what you had to do is to put it on a public bulletin board. Uh, So you're clearly entitled to take the self-help for protection. Uh, Then the question is, if somebody inside your firm releases this information to a third party then wants to publish it, what's the situation? Uh, It is also clear that this party who is inside the organization who engages in the leak can be punished by the organization for essentially breach of contract, release of trade secrets, and the like. Uh, So you have not only self-help to ward off the outsiders, but you also have various kinds of internal disciplinary measures and punishments against the actual leaker. Once it gets into the hands of the press, however, the current view seems to be Uh, that this information is now in the public domain, and whoever gets the information may be able to do with it whatever he or she wants to do, subject to one very narrow exception. So if you go back and look at the Pentagon Papers from some 40 years ago, Daniel Ellsberg released all sorts of information to the New York Times about the history and the evolution of foreign policy with special reference to Vietnam, and everybody said, oh my god, isn't that interesting? Uh, The government tries to shut it down and the Supreme Court in a case against the New York Times, the Pentagon Papers case, comes up with the basic test that if the information is related to national security, narrowly construed, the movement of troop ships and supplies, for example, then the government can suppress the information in the hands of third persons. But if on the other hand, it is simply something of a matter of public interest and concern, such suppression is not to be stopped because the interest that we're supposed to deal with is in general concerned with important events in history. So uh, the question is, does this uh, Sony case fall into one or another half of the uh, Pentagon Papers? And it's clear that this is not a national security case. But by the same token, it's also not clear that this is a matter of public interest and concern about what one, what a, one um, officer or executive Sony thinks about another, about a picture, about his friends and so forth. It's kind of gossip column type stuff. And I think the way the law currently works is that uh, Mr. Boyce is going to have a very uphill time persuading people that WikiLeaks cannot put this on the line unless he can show that they were the ones who stole it. And since they weren't the ones who stole it, it was probably some hackers from overseas somewhere. I think it's likely that he's going to meet with very stiff and very effective First Amendment resistance.
0: Richard, you mentioned the the public interest standard here, and it's interesting. The WikiLeaks justification seems to be tailored to that sensibility. Let me read to you here the statement that they put out when they released these emails. They wrote, Quote, the Sony archive showed that behind the scenes, this is an influential corporation with ties to the White House, with an ability to impact laws and policies and with connections to the US military-industrial complex. And Julie, there's a quote from Julian Assange in this release that says, this archive shows the inner workings of an influential multinational corporation. It's newsworthy and at the center of a geopolitical conflict. Not, not real clear what that means. Uh, it belongs in the public domain. WikiLeaks will ensure it stays there. Uh, what do you make of that that framing? That it's sort of too influential to stay private. <laughs>
1: Well, look, I mean, this is exactly what you would want somebody to say if he was trying to make sure that this information could remain public. Uh, there's no question that uh, Sony certainly does have some connections with the government. It may make films under contract with them or use government facilities for its operations and so forth. Uh, the question is, of course, whether or not all of the emails that are being made public relate to anything which would be a public interest and concern. And given the fact that WikiLeaks is always engaging in all or nothing kinds of strategies, my guess is a lot of stuff that is put on the site will not fall within that description under any reasonable interpretation. But I think it does show you the difficulty of trying to stop all of this stuff because what's going to happen is when Boyce tries to say, well, you can put some but not all, uh, the answer that's going to come from WikiLeaks is which? And at this point, you have a genuine First Amendment nightmare because you're going to require a judge or some other independent official to sort of go through all of this information and engage in a kind of a minimization strategy. Well, this nasty remark by by Executive A about Executive B to Executive C can't be put online, but this other stuff about a potential contract uh, to be executed in in some African country, that can go on and so forth. The words public interest and concern um, will invite huge numbers of marginal and marginal determinations as which side of the line is on. And so I think, in effect, he's following exactly the strategy that I would follow with I with them. They're trying to make this look as though it's like the Vietnam War, even though, for the most part, if you actually go back to the defamation cases and so forth, uh, they would not give quite as broad a construction to the notion of public interest and concern that's going to happen here. But my prediction is, um, unless you find something uh, which is really out of the ordinary, that by and large... Uh, the threats that Boyce is going to take will, in general, start to lose. I mean, I don't think that he's going to be able to win.
0: Let me give you an excerpt too from the argument that Boyce is advocating. <laughs> Particularly, this is the part that seems to have come in for the most criticism. I'm quoting him here, despite its purported commitment to free expression. WikiLeaks' conduct rewards a totalitarian regime. That's a reference to North Korea, which the Obama administration blamed for these hacks. Uh, Seeking to silence dissident speech and imposes disincentives on entities such as Sony who depend on trade secrets, confidential information, and protection of intellectual property to exercise their First Amendment rights every day. Sony, therefore, asks for your help in protecting the First Amendment and declining to exploit the stolen information. How about that, Richard? Is that an overstatement? That's what the criticism – Criticism. Well, it's, an,
1: it's certainly a lack of a precise statement. And let's do, What you have to do is to break down the two things. The first half is, does it make any difference that the stuff that was hacked was hacked by North Korea as opposed to everybody else? And this was in response, I guess, to the Seth Rogen movie about the assassination of the North Korean leader. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's really relevant to this particular case. If it turned out that these information had been hacked by some do-gooder in the United States and had been handed over to WikiLeaf, I think the same thing would be there. So I think the first half of the argument is, well, if North Korea is really bad, what we have to do is to change our foreign policy at the national level, but don't give Sony the chance to enforce it. The other half is, is a little bit more complicated. What our friend Boys is trying to do is to make his interest in privacy a First Amendment claim. The more accurate way to state it is that the First Amendment protection of freedom of speech has never authorized the use of stolen information in its publication. Uh, there was a case about Gerald Ford and his memos that were published by Harper and Rowe, I think, in Nation magazine, and the question was raised, well, it's a free speech to give all this stuff out, to which the answer came, The copyright laws are designed to protect this stuff. There's nothing about the First Amendment which makes the copyright laws unconstitutional. And so therefore we can enjoin what is a publication of a substantial excerpt of a work which would otherwise have proprietary value. Um, And then you can make the further argument that we're not just protecting copyright, we're protecting the First Amendment because the copyright will get us more speech out there. Most people think that that second step is a little bit tricky, although they accept the first step, as I certainly do. And I think the way in which I would say it is that the First Amendment certainly allows you to speak whatever you want to say, but it doesn't allow you to commandeer the resources of other individuals in order to make things work. Years ago, when I was about 14 years old, I was watching Archie and Veronica, one of my favorite shows. And Jughead comes over to Archie and he says, "Um, Archie, do you believe in freedom of speech? And Archie says, sure. And Jughead says, well, then you won't mind my using your phone for a long distance uh, toll call. And the point about that is, sure, I believe in freedom of speech. It means that old Jughead is allowed to use his own phone at his own expense. It doesn't mean that he's allowed to use Archie's phone. It doesn't mean he's allowed to run his own meetings in Archie's house and all the rest of it. And the argument that Boyce wants to make most strongly with intellectual property is that the principle of freedom of speech does not upend the standard rules of property relationships. You can criticize Sony for having nefarious connections with um, various organizations, but you certainly can't do anything else. Now, what's interesting about this is not all the stuff that's going to be... We put... Um online is going to be classified as trade secrets as far as I can tell. The gossip certainly won't be. And so you then get the usual problem of can you disentangle the protected material from the non-protected material. The way the First Amendment has worked, however, and this is where I actually strongly disagree with the current law, is somebody who receives stolen information, knows that the information is stolen, is allowed to use it without penalty. If this were stolen goods and they were sent off to somebody else who then sold them to a third party, he'd be called Offense and accessory after the fact and will be subject for lots of criminal charges. And so the issue is why do you want to reverse the standard rules of property with respect to speech um, that apply everywhere else? And if, in fact, what I said before was correct, that you're allowed to tax Sony for keeping this stuff private but not allowed to use its trade secrets information or its manuscripts or its films and so forth, uh, then in effect it's very hard to answer that question. Um, but there was a case called Bartnicki and a bunch of other cases in the Supreme Court where the information you get by overhearing telephone calls and so forth can be incorporated in stories without penalty. Uh, freedom of speech as it is modernly construed goes far beyond the common law definitions because lots of things that would be protected from freedom of speech, defamation, intentional infliction of emotional defense, of distress, um, expropriation of various kinds of information, to greater or lesser things is thought to be defended by this. So if we remember the case about the stolen valor situations, if this man Alvarez pretends to be fraudulently somebody who he's not, uh, the government cannot punish him for that, even though it's a fraud. The only people who are allowed to take remedy are those who are deceived. Justice Alito wrote a very wrong opinion, which he says, you know, private remedies don't work particularly well. We have a legitimate interest for public enforcement. We should do it. But the First Amendment area today does not seem to do that. And so what happens is that Boise is running up against a very powerful, widely shared consensus of which I'm not a part. About How it is that anybody who acquires stolen information is more or less free to use it in whatever form he sees fit. So I think it's going to be very difficult for him to gain the injunction. I would not have said the thing about North Korea. I don't think it adds anything to this particular case uh, because the issue could arise with other parties. But I think what Boyce has to do is to make the first half of this case and he's going to have to try to move mountains by making essentially the rule in the Ford memo, in Memoirs case the dominant rule for other kinds of intellectual property.
0: So final question, Richard, about sort of the, the social effects of this. I mean there's been an interesting sort of progression where of course you started with uh, mass adoption of email and digital communications. and Then after that, we had sort of the recognition of just how vulnerable it is. With all these leaks. And so now we're getting to a place where obviously these major institutions, the federal government, corporate America, they're not going to abandon this medium, but they're going to have to proceed with a lot more caution in the future. So how do you think this plays out? Because you can imagine the disincentives that cases like this create
1: for candor. Well, look, my view about this is that email turns out to have very serious negative consequences for people who use it. It's not just that you're talking about the illegal. Um, collection of this information, it is common in discovery practices today to demand to see all the emails that somebody has to any other party who's involved in this particular case. And even if you think you've deleted them from the machine, generally speaking, unless you blew the thing up, somebody can fish it out of the dead file and put it out there. Uh, phone calls don't have that kind of durability. Phone calls are generally one or two people. Emails can be faux at all or something like that. And so what's happened is many people now have systematic um, – programs for document destruction and email destruction. After six months, we just get it out of the system because it's not doing us all that much good, and it's doing us a lot of harm if somebody else should get into it. And I think that there'll be more data uh, management programs that will start to take place. This will then run into conflict because the government, for certain national security purposes, says, we want you to hold certain kinds of connections for a very long period of time because if there's an explosion somewhere or a terrorist killing and so forth, you may have on your phone, some information that will allow us to um, track this thing down so on the one hand there are private incentives to destroy and there are public incentives to deserve to preserve i think in effect that the rule which allows stolen information to be freely published is a mistake under these circumstances if you're allowed to use self-help to protect the information and nobody seems to doubt that why if the self-help fails can you not use legal remedies um, Uh, against the illegal use of this stuff. That's always been the law in every other area. It's not the law today. And so the question you're going to have to do is to figure out whether or not you can change the entire system. And I think the way David Boise pitched his case to begin with making it an attack on North Korea is calculated to give rise to a torrent of opposition and will make it more difficult to him to win what is already a very difficult case in my view.
0: All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting definingideas at hoover.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For The Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of The Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.